We're going to go ahead and get started. <clears throat> For those of you who are new to our group, um, in this class we're studying the life of Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. His name is Jesus Christ the Lord, our Savior. Jesus Christ the Lord, our Savior. When we call Him Jesus, that name comes from the Hebrew Yahshua, and it means Savior. It means one that comes to save us. So when we call Jesus by the name of Jesus, we're calling Him by His earthly name. Uh, just like uh, I, I introduced you guys, Tim, you have an earthly name. That's your name, Tim. And when people call you, you listen. And so Jesus' earthly name is Jesus. In the Old Testament, He would have been called Joshua or Yahshua. Alright? So that means Savior. And when we call Him Jesus... We're calling Him by His earthly name. When we call Him Christos, the Anointed One, we're calling Him the One that the Father appointed to come and save us. He is the One that the Father has empowered to come and to save us from this broken, busted world we live in. So Jesus Christ, when we call Him Lord, that's a tough word for us to call anybody Lord, because when you call Him Lord, you are calling Him the boss of you. When you was a kid and you played on the playground and your friends tried to get you to do something you didn't want to do, you would say, I'm not doing that. You're not the boss of me. And the truth of the matter is there's not a one of us in this room that likes to have a boss. We like to be the boss. But when you call Jesus Lord, you are yielding before His authority. You're yielding before His power. You're you're yielding to who He is and saying, okay, God, you win. We're going to do it your way. So we're calling him boss. So Jesus is his earthly name. Christ means he is the one appointed from the Father. And Lord means he is the one that is the boss of us. And then, of course, when we call him Savior, he is saving us from the power of sin. He's saving us from death. He's saving us from this broken and busted world that we live in. And who does he save? All of those who believe in him. All of those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's a matter of us knowing in our heart that He died on the cross for us, knowing in our hearts that on that cross He poured out His blood for my sins, the sins I committed yesterday, the sins I've committed today, and the sins I'm going to commit tomorrow. He died to save me from my from the punishment of sin, and He died to set me free to be the person He created me to be instead of the person that this world is trying to form me into. So there's a battle going on in our lives right now and you live in a world that has fallen and full of darkness and hate and sin and lies and brokenness. And that world is trying to conform you and mold you into something that it wants you to be. And those who believe in Jesus Christ have been set free to become the people that God wants us to be. And so it's simply a matter of us trusting in Jesus Christ the Lord. And so in our class, we have been studying the life of Jesus. And what that means is that about almost 2,000 years ago, uh, the Holy Spirit placed Jesus, His physical body, in the womb of Mary, and the Virgin gave birth to our Savior, and He walked this earth for 33 and a half years, and He lived a life, a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. He lived it. And then He died a death that we deserve so that we can have the life that He has. He's come to give us life and life eternal. And so as we've been studying the life of Christ, the way that you know that life of Christ is by opening up the Bible and reading the books of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the first two chapters of Acts. And I'm going to put your your leader on the spot. Lori, what do we call those books? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The Gospels. Good. And the Gospel means? 
Good news. Hey, guys, I got some good news. Jesus came to die to save us. And if we will believe on him, we will not perish, but have everlasting life. And as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the first two chapters of Acts, we see the 33 and a half years of Jesus' physical life on this earth when he came to save us. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking those four books, those four and a half books, we've been taking those books and going through the life of Jesus and what he taught us and how he lived and what he did to save us. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life. One of the claims that Jesus makes is that he is the bread of life. And we had seen Jesus, um, he feeds 5,000 people uh, with some bread. And then he's going to go into a message to teach us that he is the bread of life. Now, um, Michael's, we're in John, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. I was just in that. John chapter 6. And so, um, my friend Michael, who is one of our uh, regular members, he's not here today. He's a Catholic guy, and the and the Catholic folks believe that when they take communion, they are actually eating the physical body of Jesus. That when the priest stands over the communion, uh, the altar, they call it an altar. We call it a table. When he stands over that altar, he says hocus pocus. He actually says horum quorum. But what he's saying is he's giving a mantra or a prayer so that the physical bread can actually turn into the body of Jesus. And then when you eat it, you are actually ingesting the physical flesh of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. As Protestants, it's something we do not believe. But when we think of Jesus being the bread of life, one of the times that we are reminded of that is when we take communion. How many of you in here have ever taken communion before? All right. When you take communion, what are you doing? Um, the preacher hands you the piece of bread. He said, this is his body that was broken for you. This is his blood that has been poured out for you. And you eat that bread and you drink that wine as a remembrance of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's a symbol or a picture of what he's done for you on the cross. And one of the elements of that communion table is the bread. The bread, Jesus says, is his body. All right, And it says that that bread is the bread of life. Now, all of you here in the room um, have already had a lunch and you had bread, right? Man does not live by bread alone, right. but, but it does make a good sandwich. And all of you have had a sandwich today and that came with some bread in it. What, what is vibrating? It's somebody's phone. All right, so what does it mean to say, what when Jesus says he is the bread of life, what is he saying? He's saying that you ingest me and you have eternal life. You ingest me and I provide the nutrients for you that you need to live. Now, he's not talking about the physical nutrients we live. He's talking about the spiritual nutrients. And as you read the Bible, one of the things you're going to learn is that the Bible teaches you that that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. And oftentimes Jesus will use fleshly things or physical things to help us to understand spiritual things. Do you remember the story we did a couple of weeks ago how Jesus healed the man who was blind from birth? Remember, he didn't have sight. He was physically unable to see. But Jesus used that physical blindness as a way to describe something called spiritual blindness. What does it mean to be spiritually blind? 
you don't know God and you can't yeah. see the things of God. So a lot of times when we're trying to understand the Bible in our physical nature, it don't make sense to us. Right, right. Do not lean on your own understanding. And so a person who is spiritually blind is someone who cannot see the king, the things right. of God. You see how that works? How about someone who, how could, would Jesus use someone who is paralyzed? Someone who is physically uh, unable to walk? What would the spiritual implication of that be? Someone who is still bound up in sin and death, mm-hmm. and they are not physically able to walk with God. Right. Uh, or not spiritually able to walk with God. Um, all of us struggle with this. I don't know if you know this or not, but even as believers, we battle sin and the lust of the flesh all day long, don't, do we not? And so the truth of the matter is, is even as children of God, we have a tendency to what? Go astray. We all like sheep have gone astray. So instead of walking in God's path, we often wander off into the wrong path. And so all of these physical teachings that Jesus is teaching us all have spiritual applications to them. And what we're going to see, as with a lot of the stories of Jesus in the Bible, what we're going to see today is that a lot of times when Jesus is talking about physical things, he's talking about them to point us to spiritual things, but oftentimes the people that he's talking to can't grasp the spiritual, they can only think of the physical. You see how that works? And it works with us today too. So a lot of times when you're telling somebody that they they need to uh, pray, uh, immediately what they think is, okay, i got to get down on my knees and pray to God. Well, that is true. But spiritually, prayer is what? It's communion with God. It's walking with God. It's talking with God. So when you tell someone they need to pray, you really are telling them they need to commune with God. There needs to be a relationship between the two of you. And what have we learned in the Bible? The only way to truly pray to God is through the power of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. Right? And so, let's go ahead and look at our text today. Um, Jesus is talking to a group of people that have been following Him along. Um, we Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus fed 5,000 people uh, with... Uh, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. You remember that story? How he yeah. fed 5,000 people. He multiplied just those five little pieces of bread and those two fish and turned them into enough to feed 15,000 people. Now it said 5,000 people. What it was talking about was 5,000 men. And we know that most of the men out there had a, a wife and two kids with them. So we're guessing that the crowd was somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people. But he took five pieces of bread and he took uh, two fish. Oh, there was he did it twice. There was two different times. One time it was seven of them. And he fed all of those people with it, right? And we, now we had lunches here and, and I would imagine that there's probably somebody in this room whose stomach's still growling that would like to get a little of the leftovers that we got right here. And that's okay, you can have them if you want them. But the point being is is the amount of lunch that we have here, the amount of lunch that we have here today is not enough to feed five thousand people. It's just enough to feed the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of us here. You see? Jesus is able to take that which is not sufficient and make it sufficient. He can turn it into what is needed. And so let's look at this story together. John chapter 6, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1. Actually, we're going to look at verses uh, 26 through 40. Now again, what Jesus is going to be talking to us about right here 
is going to come right after he has fed the people, the 5,000 people, with the loaves of bread. You see? So now he's going to make an address about what he's done. All right, I fed you. You all have full stomachs now. And now let's look at what he says. So this is John chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 45. It says, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves of bread and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him the Father God has set His seal. Alright, so He's telling the crowd that many of you, He said, truly, truly, I tell you, you're not looking after Me because you saw the signs. You're following after Me because your bellies were filled. You're coming because there was food involved. Right? And how many times do we go to church because they're having a meal? Right? I can always get I can always get my unbelieving friends, I can convince them to come to church if we're having a cookout or a dinner or something, you see? And so a lot of times there you go, barbecue at Point Pleasant, right? You come there not because you're seeking him, but because your belly will be filled. Hopefully people are coming there to actually see Christ. So, so Jesus is saying that the reason that you are chasing after him is not because you've seen him and believe him, but because he filled your belly. And that's something that all of us in this room have to wrestle with. Jesus called us to live a life following him. And when he promises us to follow him and live for him, it's not going to be all yellow break road and dancing with Dorothy and Toto. There's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations. There's going to be a lot of struggles. And if you follow Jesus and walk in his light, the dark world around you is not going to take it kindly. The thing to that, and you're right, it's not all rainbows. It's certainly not. Because we have to face who we are and face our sins and repent of them. But I must say, the life with Christ is so wonderful compared to the life on the street. Amen. It certainly is. And, And there's contentment. Yep. And so... When we see Christ, when we find Christ, and He fulfills us spiritually, the material stuff will take care of itself. But what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage as we read through it is, it's the spiritual things that last right. forever. The contentment, and you're right, I, I just want to put this in there. The contentment comes because He He does help us with our material things, but it gives us time to work on us Good. and try to understand Christ better. Good. So you remember at one time Jesus um, said that he was the I am the good shepherd, I give my life for the sheep, and he was referring to Psalms twenty three. And for any of you in this room who are familiar with Psalms twenty three, it starts off by saying the Lord. Y'all remember what he said the Lord is? The boss of me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Alright, now what the psalmist was saying in that is God is the shepherd and I am his sheep, and because I am his sheep He is going to provide everything for me that I need. And if I have everything that I need, I will not want anything. And the rest of that psalm is talking about God giving us the things we need. He leads me beside, he, he makes me to lay down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. So what do we need? Physical nourishment. We need hydration. We need to be at peace in our lives. And all of these things are things that God gives to those who follow Him. You see? And so 
our problem is instead of chasing after the things that we need, so often in life we chase after the things that we want. All right. So I'll give you an example of that. Some of you in this room, I won't point any fingers because I would have to first point at me. Some of you in this room have struggled with something called chemical dependence. All right. And when you struggle with chemical dependence, this is what you're going to find. You chase after the things that you want. What do you want? You want the chemical satisfaction. You want to escape from the hardships of life. You don't want to deal with things. So you chase after those things. And what you'll find is the devil will convince you in your mind that the things that you want are the things that you need. But in reality, he's completely distorting your mind and he's getting you to chase after things that you want. And when you chase after the things that you want, it will cost you the things that you need. When I chased after the things that I wanted, it cost me uh, my lights and it cost me my car and it cost me my home. You you see how that works? So you go chasing after things that you want, thinking they're things that you need, and by chasing those things that you want, you actually lose the things that you need. But God promises to protect us. He promises to provide for us. He promises us to give us the things that we need. And what you and I need to understand is that oftentimes it's those physical things that helps us, causes us to lose sight of the spiritual right. things now that we, we need. When we start trusting the Lord and we get to the point where we don't have to just revive, then we can dream. Sure. Alright, so he says this. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So, one of the questions, one of the challenges that we need to ask ourselves today is, what am I chasing after and why am I chasing it? Does that make sense? What am I chasing after and why am I chasing it? Then he says this. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For uh, on him the Father God has set his seal. So he's saying that he is the anointed one. The Father has set his seal on Jesus. And that Jesus gives us the things that endure to eternal life. Now, when it says do not work for the things that perish, Jesus is not telling you that you can stay unemployed and be a bum. Alright, that's not what he's meaning. Okay? Matter of fact, Paul later on tells us if a man does not work, he shouldn't eat. Right, that God put us on this earth to work and to toil and to labor to provide for ourselves for the things that we need. Right. So when He says, "Do but not," say there too. He makes that possible for us. Sure, He says, "Don't work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life." So what is He saying? Spiritual. He's saying, "Chase after the spiritual things, pursue and work towards the spiritual things." that will provide eternity for you. Mm-hmm. Every one of you in about eight hours, or probably less than that if you're anything like me, are going to be hungry again. You're going to walk out of here with a full belly, and in about six hours you're going to be hungry again. And not only that, you'll probably you'll probably have to do like Lori did at the beginning of our class and run to the restroom, right? I've got to run to the restroom. Why? Because the thing that we put in our mouth comes out of our body. It's temporary. It only lasts for a little while. But this Bible study that we're doing here today, God promises that some of the seeds that are being planted in your heart today through the study of this Word are going to be with you for eternity. You see how that works? Like, it's going to last forever. 
If you trust Him and walk with Him, then you will know these promises for eternity in heaven. If you do refuse to believe Him and reject Him and push Him away, these words are going to be with you forever in hell because you're going to know that you rejected the very thing that would bring you life. So we need to understand that there's a difference in the temporary things and the eternal things. There's a difference in being temporarily born physically blind or born with a physical malady. And it is one or the other. I mean, even on earth, yep. it's either living with Christ and, and becoming stable and having stability and contentment or living through hell and then going to hell after physical life. So there's one or the other, both here and after. So he says in verse 28, Therefore the people said to Jesus, they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? All right. Now, that's a weird statement because what they're saying is, What shall we do to do the works of God? Well, nothing. Because the works of God are done by God. We can't do the works of God. You with me? So, yeah, but that's what the Jewish... So what did he say? Work for the things that last for eternity. And they said, Okay, what do we do? How do we work? How do we do that? And look what Jesus said. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So, there's a double meaning to that. What does God require of you? You need to believe Him and walk with Him. You see how that works? And it says it's the work of God that you believe Him and walk with Him. So, are you with me? What he's saying is is that the only way that you're ever going to believe in Him is if His Spirit does a work in you. And if His Spirit does a work in you, then that work is going to come out of you. So what is the work that the Spirit does for me and you? Opens our eyes, regenerates our heart, renews our minds, and gives us light and love and life and peace and joy. And what happens if God does that work in us? Then we start working it out in our lives. God works it in. We work it out. You see how that works? So what is the work of God that you believe? Mm -hmm. The only way that you will ever believe Him is if He does a work in your heart. If He does not do a work in your heart, you will never believe. You will live in rejection. But once He does that work in your heart, then that work will start coming out in your life. It will come out in your thoughts. Your thought patterns will change. It will come out in your words. Your words will change. It will come out in your emotions because your feelings will change. And it will come out in the things that you do with your hands and the places that your feet carry you and the way especially you Especially the life. places that your feet yeah. carry you, yeah. yes. That's exactly right. And especially the way you treat others. Sure. Exactly right. So they said, what is the work? How do we do the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. So who did God send? Christ. Jesus. And what are we to do? We're to believe Him. And follow His example. And that's His work in us. And what does our work look like? Working out what He's worked in. Yes. Okay. Now, they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? All right, so he's telling them they need to believe in him. And he's saying, Okay, what sign are you going to do for us so that we will believe you? Now, there's a problem there. What had he just done? He had just fed them. He just fed down the people with five pieces of fish. And now they're saying, Show us a sign to prove that you are who you are. Okay. Now, the lesson we need to learn in this is this. 
you may be in this you may be in this room today going well I would like to believe in God but I can't see him so I'm not going to believe him the truth of the matter is is that if God does not open our eyes and our hearts we will never believe him and no amount of proof would ever help you to believe no matter how much proof God gave you you would still reject him Unless God does a work in your heart. And it's proven through these people all through here. All through this thing, Jesus is raising the dead. He's turning water to wine. He's walking on water. He's curing the blind. He's causing paralyzed people to see. Right after that, that's when he walked on water. Yeah. And he's doing all of these miracles. And every time he does a miracle, you know what the people say? Show us something else. We need to see something. Mm -hmm. And every time he shows them something, one of two things happens. Either their heart believes... Or their heart becomes hardened. And the hardened hearted people will constantly say, show me something else. Show me something else. Show me something else. Have you? I know that none of you have ever done this, but it might have been done to you. Have you, uh, uh, have you ever tried to show one of your friends or a family member that they're in error? And it's obvious to everybody but them. Yeah. Now, I know that's never happened to you. Oh, yeah. Right? I know that's never happened to you. But have you ever tried to convince someone that they are wrong? No matter how much proof you give them, what are they going to do? No matter how much proof you give them, what are they going to do? They're going to buck. They're going to buck. They're going to make an excuse. They're going to point it right back at you and say, it's your fault, not my fault. Why? Because that's, that's how unbelief works. And so what Jesus is saying is these people are dying in unbelief and it doesn't matter how much He shows them unless God does a work in their heart, they will not believe. And think about that because the whole Bible is based on the premise, the world is based on this premise. If you show me, I will believe you. So what should our first prayer, our first prayer say? Uh, work in my heart, give me faith. Well, if you're saying that prayer... He's already at work in your heart. Mm -hmm. God, help me to know you. Mm -hmm. God, my heart is in darkness. My life has fallen apart. I need you to save me. And it can be really very simple. You remember when Peter was drowning? This was Peter's prayer. Help, Lord. (laughs) Like that was the whole prayer. And what we need to understand is this. What we need to understand, when Jonah went and preached to the people in Nineveh, the wicked people in Nineveh, he didn't say, if you'll believe God, God will save you. This is what Jonah said. You're going to die in 30 days. God is going to destroy you. And that was the whole preaching. He didn't He did not tell them anything, but you're going to die. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, you and I, you know from your own heart in, I'm speaking from personal experience, that until I get to the point of death, until I get to the point where my life is completely destroyed, I'm not going to trust anybody but myself. Mm-hmm. Like God has to literally get us to rock bottom for we'll oh, Absolutely. I agree. Okay? Absolutely. And so what he's saying here is, this is the work that you believe him. And they're saying, well, show us a sign so that we can believe you. And what the Bible teaches is, no matter how many signs God shows you, you will not believe through signs. It takes a work of God in your heart for you to believe. And no matter, the world teaches you, show me and I'll believe you, show me and I'll believe you, show me and I'll believe you. But God said, hey, this is the way it really works. If you'll believe me, I'll show you. You see the difference? When you turn to Christ, when you turn away from this world and you turn to what Christ has done for you on the cross, 
He then opens your heart and your eyes to be able to see the real eternity, the real truth. But it takes believing before you can see. The world tells you, show me and I'll believe you. Jesus says, believe me and I'll show you. You see? He puts it out there and said, if you will trust me, I will show you. And so what does it take on our part? We have to trust Him. And how will you trust Him? If He does His work in you. Which is a gift from God. Which is a gift from God. Okay? Alright, now He says this. Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness... As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread out of heaven. For this is the bread of God, is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Alright, now, what the Jewish people are doing is they're going back in their history and they're saying, Hey, Jesus, don't you remember when we, our fathers, were in the wilderness after they left Egypt and they were in the wilderness? Every morning when they woke up, God provided manna, bread from heaven for them every morning. So what he's saying is the children of Israel had a sign that God was with them. And what was that sign? Every morning there was bread laying out there on the ground for them. But the problem with that bread is this. Keep your finger right there and turn with me back to the Old Testament. Look at Numbers chapter 21. Um, It's Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Bible. Numbers chapter 21. Yep. Got it. I got number 21. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 9. So the Lord sent fiery serpents. Oh, wait, wait, we're going to start at 4. I'm sorry. Verse 4. Then they set out around the uh, Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Now he's talking about the children of Israel and their wilderness experience. They've been set free from Egypt. They're no longer slaves in Egypt. Now they're walking around in the desert and God is testing them. And it says, and the people became impatient because of the journey. Boy, that could be a title of my biography. The people became impatient because of the journey. We don't want to wait on anything, do we? And he said this, the people spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there's no food and water, and we hate this miserable food. Alright? So we loathe this loathe worthless food. This worthless food. Alright? So here's what they're saying. They're in the middle of the desert, and the word that they're using is the word they're grumbling and complaining. Maybe one of your translations says that. They were grumbling and complaining. It's a big it's a funny word in a foreign and in, in the original biblical language, they were gungasmooing. It means to grumble and gripe and complain. And what is grumbling, griping, and complaining a picture of? It's a picture of unbelief. When you grumble and gripe and complain, you're showing that you don't trust God. Alright? And so these people are grumbling against God, and this is what they said. And they're miserable. Yeah. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Alright? Now, in our lives, in, in, in modern times, this is what it would be like saying. 
God saves you from your addiction and pulls you out of that old lifestyle and you're having to get up every morning now and go to work and the tax man's taking for 30 of your money and you're having a hard time paying the bills and life is not fun like it was when you was hitting the bars and the clubs and living your life the way you not wanted to. Not true. Right? Will be. Right? But you're thinking back in your mind, this sucks. This life is boring. I had fun when I was back in that old place. Why did you bring me out of there to die here? And the truth of the matter is what they forgot was the slavery of Egypt. They forgot what it was like to wake right, up every morning without money yeah. and to be worried about your physical condition and worried about diseases and, and worried about overdoses and worried about where you're going to get your next fix and worried about people abusing you and using you and worrying and worrying and worrying. And what happens is we look back on that old life and we only think of the fun stuff or the, the fun stuff, the things that brought us pleasure. And that's what these children are doing. They're in the desert. They're dying. They think they're dying. The reality is they're not dying. They're supposed to be going to the promise that God has given them. But because they're focusing on their past and because they're focusing on their present condition, they can't see the future promise. They've lost sight of it. And so what they say is, there's no food and no water here. Now, if there's no food and no water, what's going to happen to them? They will die. But then they said, and we hate this worthless food. Now, what is the worthless food that you think they're hating? They're like hating that bread that he puts out there every How morning. How can it be worthless when that is what they're living on? Yeah, but they ate the I same every morning for 40 years. They ate that same bread. Right? Could you imagine waking up every morning having to have the same thing for breakfast Great. 40 years in a row? Now, if it was coffee... <laughs> Yeah. I'd be on board. But Coffee if I had to eat, cereal, and, and yeah. as much as I love grits, if, it, if I had to eat grits every morning for 40 years, I would probably go crazy. You see? And so what's happening? God is providing them the things that they need, need. not the things that they want. want. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, now back to John. So what are they doing? They're complaining and griping at God because he's not providing for them the things that they want. And so he said, they said, our fathers gave us manna. What are you going to give us? And the reality is, Jesus is what the Father is going to give them. He is the very bread of life. He's the salvation that that saves us from all of our destructive ways, you see. And so he says, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. (laughs) Yeah, we like that. Give us that kind of bread. That bread that comes down from heaven, give us that bread. It's very reminiscent of the woman at the well in John 4 that we studied a couple months ago where she was at the well and Jesus said, whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never thirst again. And what did she say? Oh God, give me some of that. Like I want some of that water where I don't have to come out here every day to this well and get water. And so what does it say God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ. Like, he will give us all of the things that we need. But he's not going to give us everything that we want. He's going to provide for us the things that we need. And so what is it up to for me and you? We are supposed to be content with what he provides for us. And my church is we. And I certainly am. Yeah, we, this week in our church, we were, um, we were talking about the sin of coveting. And what it means to covet other people's things. And that's what coveting is. Coveting is a sin against God because it's being uncontent with what 
He's for giving. What he's giving yeah, us. yeah. You want what other people have got. You see their figures and their I'm, their I'm hairstyles there. and their clothes and their cars and their houses and their way of living and what you have is not like what they have and so you lust over other people's stuff. And what you're doing is you're basically saying to God, I don't like you because you haven't given me the things that I want. And that's what the children of Israel were doing. So he says this. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread. Now Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All right. So what he's looking at a group of people and saying what? I've shown you all that I'm going to show you, and yet you still don't believe me. That's pretty amazing to think about. Now, in verse 37, he says this. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So, all that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. Now, who are the ones that come to Jesus? Good, the believing ones. That's exactly right. That's what he meant in John 3.16 when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Another way to say that is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all of the believing ones will not perish but have everlasting life. Now what's happening to this group of people? What is Jesus saying? You do not believe me. What did Jesus say he said, I come for the, for the lost. Yep. To seek and to save that which was lost. Yeah. That's that right. He came for the lost. Well, he came to save the lost. Yeah. yeah. He came to save the lost. And so when he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, will I will certainly not cast out. So the promise is what? If you will turn away from sin and self and turn to what Christ has done for you on the cross, what will he do? He will forgive you and save you and give you eternal life. That's his promise. All that come to him. And what what is the promise? Would God ever reject anybody who's coming to him? No. God has never rejected anyone who turned in faith and believed in him. Never. So what is required of me and you? We have to turn to him and believe. But what did he say earlier? This is the work of the Father. Right? That you believe. So God does a work, and then we do a work. What is the work? God gives us faith. We come to Him. And if we come to Him, He promises that He will never what? He will never cast us out. That is His promise. He has never said no to anyone who comes to Him. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly uh, not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So who did Jesus come down? Whose will did Jesus come to do? His father's. His father sent him to do his will. Now watch. Here's what his will says in verse 39. Very powerful statement. This is the will of him who sent me. Alright, what is Jesus saying when he says that? This is the will of him who sent me. Okay. 
But when he says, this is the will of him who sent me, who sent him? His father. So what's he saying? This is the will of my father. All that he has given me, I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. So what is the Father's will? That all of those that the Father has given to the Son will come to Him. And none of them will be lost. Not a single one of them. So what does that mean? It means on judgment day, on the final day, when God separates the sheep from the goats, not a single sheep is going to wind up in the goat goat fold. I can't even say it. Not a single sheep is going to wind up in the goat fold. And not a single goat is going to wind up in the sheepfold. You see how that works? So he says that his Father's will is for him to come and to claim all of those that his Father has given to him. And who are those that his Father has given them? All of the believing ones. And who are the believing ones? All of those that turn and come to him. And how many of us, if I turn to him today, how many of us will he reject? None. None. He has never said no to anyone who turned to Him. The only one that cannot have His salvation and His forgiveness is the one that turns away and rejects Him. What are they rejecting? They're rejecting the Father's will, aren't they? And eternal life. And eternal life. I have a note I want to share. Okay. It says, Seek the Lord well. He can be found. Do not delay. Very good. No one chosen will be lost. Amen. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Okay, so this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Alright? So what is this Father's will? That all of those that the Father has given to Him will be saved, and they will be raised up on the last day. Who are the ones that are going to be raised up on the last day? All of those who believe, believe Him. You see? And then he says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, that word beholds means sees the Son. To behold something means to grab it with your eyes. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Therefore... I'm sorry. My study not say just... For this exact verse, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, the, this verse emphasizes the human responsibility of salvation. Yep. That's the only thing. That's the only thing yep. that we have. So, to what are we to responsible do? to do? Believe in Him. Receive Him. Believe Him. And what does it look like when we receive Him and believe Him? We turn to Him. What do we know is happening if we believe in Him? We know that He's doing a work in our heart. And how will that work be evident? It will come out in our lives. When God changes you, He changes you for good. He does. You see? He does. His salvific work is a one-time act. He saves you and you have eternal life. But that one-time act results in a lifetime of walking with Him. Now, Lord, do you walk perfect every day? No. no I don't but think. today, I got to hear this morning, I got to hear my mother tell my grandmother... But she was very happy in the way I turned out. Very and good. I put her through 
That's awesome. A lot. That's yeah, that was, that was huge for me. That's very good. And, that's to, and think about the last day when the Father says to all of us, Well done. Um, well done, my good and faithful servant. When Jesus says that to us, because I, I I always feel so inadequate. <laughs> well, that's okay. I worry about it. What what you know? What can I possibly do? Well, if say, well done. If, and if you're dependent on you, you will be inadequate. Right. But you're dependent on Jesus right. and what He's done for you. So our we're 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 all we're all sufficient in Him. So He said. <clears throat> so. That's true. What has Jesus just told us? He said it is the Father's will for the Son that came to come and to save all that He has sent Him to save. And what is the Son going to do? Is the Son going to disobey His Father? No. He's going to save everyone that He has come to save. And what is our responsibility in that? To receive Him and to believe Him. To receive Him and believe Him as what? As the one sent from the Father, as the one who is sent to come and save us, as the Good Shepherd, as uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Remember when we started the game? That's what we believe. And it has to be personal. It's not that Jesus died on a cross, uh, uh, and not that Jesus died and, and was buried and put in a grave and raised again three days, but it has to be a belief that He died for who? For me. For me. And I have to come to that realization that it was for me that He died. And that requires a work of God. God has to show me that he died to save me. And then he says this. Look at verse 41 through 45 and then we'll be done. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. So these Jews are grumbling about the bread that comes down from heaven. What were they doing in the Old Testament? They were grumbling about the bread that come down from heaven. Why were the Jews in the Old Testament grumbling about the bread that come down from heaven? Because they didn't believe and they didn't trust God. And their impatience and their grumbling... And they saw God part the Red Sea. Yep. How could they not Very good. Stop? They saw plenty of signs, and yet their grumbling was an indication that they did not believe. Okay? Now, in the New Testament, these are Jews, and what are they doing? They're grumbling and proclaiming, and grumbling and complaining about Jesus <coughs> and because He said, I am the bread that come down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Father and mother. Who's Jesus' earthly father and mother? Mary and Joseph? Joseph, Joseph is his adopted father, but who is his real father? God. God. And what you know what Jesus said to them? If you have seen me, you have seen the, the father. Jesus said, I am the father and one. And every time he says that, they will pick up stones to stone him because he's claiming to be equal with God. They said, we know his father and mother. They know Mary and Joseph. The problem is they don't know his father. They are the Jewish people. They claim that they know God. And the reality is he's standing right in front of them and they're rejecting him. See? And we can do the same thing. You can go sit in a church and that preacher, when he preaches the word of God, he's presenting to you who Jesus is. He's presenting to you the will of the Father. And what is our reaction going to be? We will either see Him and believe Him and walk with Him, or we will reject, uh, reject Him and grumble and complain. You see, that's what they're doing. Jesus answered and said, Do not grumble and complain among yourselves. Boy, that's something you could write on the mirror in the house, isn't it? Yes. Right? I, I, I need to put that on my Facebook profile. <laughs> Do not grumble and complain among yourselves. Boy, that would... I think I might... Put that as my That's a face. tough one for me. I grumble. Yeah, I, I do too. Because grumbling is 
an expression of unbelief. So, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So everyone who has heard from and learned from the Father comes to Jesus. God does a work in us, and that work comes out of us. What does that work look like when it comes out of us? First of all, it looks like belief. We trust Him. We turn away from this world that is killing us and turn to the God who has died to give us eternal life. And that will look like faith in your life. It will look like you walking away from your old life and walking into eternity with Jesus. And how do you know if He died to save you? You will believe Him. Yes, you will trust you will him. believe him. I, I am so certain that he has saved me. I wonder why me? Why did you pick me? So, <laughs> but he did. I want to focus on a couple of things there, and then we're done. He said this: No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a big difference between can and may. And every one of us had a smart aleck teacher in school when we were kids that taught us the difference in those two words, didn't they? Lori, before we started our class night, you said, you know what Lori said before we started class day? Can I run to the bathroom real quick? You remember you said that? And what did I say? As long as as you run. Now, the reality is, can I go to the bathroom? Well, everybody can go to the bathroom. Oh, so I should have said, may I go but to the But may is having the permission to. And look what I said. No one can come to the Father. Unless the Father who sent... Or no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So what it means is that this world is dead in trespassing and sin and literally does not have the permission... Or the ability, no one can come to the Father, uh, to Jesus, unless the Father draws him. They don't have the ability. They can't. They are dead in trespassing and sin. They're living in a world full of death and darkness and sickness and hate and lies. And they are literally enslaved to that death. They can't do anything about it. No one can come to me unless... The Father draws him. How will me and you in this room, those listening, how will they know if the Father is drawing them? Because they'll believe. That's how you'll know if God is calling you to him. You will quickly be convinced that the world around you is killing you. You will be quickly convinced that if I continue to live this way, I will die and go to hell. And you will be quickly convinced that Jesus died on a cross to save a broken soul like you. And if you will turn away from sin and self and turn to what He did on that cross for you, not only will He forgive you of all of your sins, but He will take the death that you deserve and He will give you a life that you can never earn. And how long does that life last? For eternity. All right, I want to thank you guys. Let's close with a quick prayer. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and thank You for sending Your Son Jesus to save us. Thank you, uh, Jesus, for being the substance and the bread of life that we need. Please forgive us because I know myself and I'm sure everyone here will admit that we do have a tendency to grumble and complain and to become impatient and to find ourselves not trusting you. So uh, as the...
uh, man cried, Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to trust you. Help us to receive you and help us to believe you and help us to walk with you. And I pray for all of those who are still struggling that you will give them the strength and the willingness and the ability to turn away from sin and self and to turn to what you did on the cross for us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.